You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. Good morning, this is the World Football Programme. My name is Sean Kelly and I'll be with you for the next two hours. Joining us on the show today is State, oh, sorry, State Schoolboys coach uh, Tony Campbell. TC, good morning, how are you? Good morning, it's a pleasure to be back. Yeah, it's always good to have you in the chair, mate. You've always good value. Um, we also have on the show today um, a good list. We've got Greg Farrell from WA Futsal, or Futsal WA, sorry. Um... Anthony Radich from Perth Glory, Ben Smith from WA Newspapers and State League Player, and finishing off with Dave Udi from Wanneroo, who is a walking footballer and uh, going over to Queensland for the Pampax. So um, quite a bit to get through today. Uh, thanks to Frank and Jerry for a wonderful uh, Celtic ramblings again. Always good to follow the studio, them boys. And we... Also have what do we have now? Uh, something I don't know what. Oh, and Len, that's right, Len with the jazz show coming in at twelve. So um, some news this week. I believe the um, First Nations Cup is on in Queensland as well, um, and the Football WA have a side Jambinu, which is over there for the first time in a while since COVID. Um, so good luck to the ladies over there. I think they represent the state well. Yeah, definitely. I, th- um, it's, uh, I think one of my ex-students, Jacob Carlard, he, he, went, he went across. He didn't make the state team here. And one of the junior teams went across um, in that competition. And uh, I can't remember who the, who the head honcho at, the, at uh, FFA were at the time. And uh, he, uh, he got recognised. And uh, there was a question that Marks asked why he wasn't in the uh, state teams here. And, yeah. uh, and then he went on, went on to uh, play for the glory. 
But that's that's not unusual, is it? I mean, we we've got um, a couple of people. There's a, a lad playing in Italy for Jose Mourinho, who was missed by all of the A League teams. Um, he's now over in um, Italy playing well, um, and I believe he, although he's been named in the World Cup squad, he may well be trying or tying his ties to the Azzurri. So, okay, can't blame him. I mean, they they have looked him. No, look, I mean. It, Look, you're always going to get players who, who sort of get overlooked. That That's just the, the nature of it. Um, I think uh, one of my ex-students, Alfie James, he's, uh, I saw him a couple of months ago, just happened to uh, come across him. He'd uh, left to go to TAFE and uh, he's uh, he's in Italy right now with a Serie B team, I think, uh, for a three-month youth contract. And then hopefully, he'll, if he if he shines, he'll be, uh, he'll be, he'll be uh, sort of amongst it. But... Look, it's just you just take the opportunities when they come, really. Absolutely, you do, and I think you know coming into a World Cup, that's it very much in in flavour in the European leagues as guys playing for form, um, and there's others that are probably thinking, oh, I'm already home and hosed and and not switching on. So, you know, it's an interesting time. We'll talk to Ben Smith about that later on because there's quite a bit happening with the timing of this World Cup. Oh. In the, well, I was going to say with the especially, I was just looking at the uh, Premier League fixtures, and there's uh, there's still three rounds to go, I think, um, just before the World Cup. So there's going to be a few players who, you know, sort of maybe just holding back, maybe a little bit, or just uh, you know, absolutely. And that was always going to be the problem: um, players holding back. I mean, for Gareth Southgate, won't be a problem. He picks on reputation and history, <laughs> so you know. But other other countries that pick on form, it might be a problem for them. Oh, look, I mean, come on, Harry Maguire, you know, he was in the two teams of the tournament, World Cup and the uh, European Cup. Who cares what his club form is like? Yeah. Isn't that the way? Yeah, don't even start <laughs> me on him. There's so many better players around. I think we'd give a lot more, but that's the way it is. Um, all right, we're going to go to a break. We'll be back very shortly with Greg Farrell from Futsal WA, and we'll be talking about uh, a number of things, Futsal WA, the local state league, and also the Matildas and... Um, the international youth sides are all doing very well at the moment. So we'll be back after this. Oh, don't relax. I want elbows and backs. I want to see everybody from behind. Oswest Fencing and Royal Iron is a fourth-generation family business. Bring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Royal Iron. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor. Hey, hey, it's Futsal WA, the leading futsal organisation in Western Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432 745 140 or simply at www.futsalwa.org.au. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. Well, I suppose that's right. Live radio for you. If you're out there, Greg, pick up your phone, mate. It'd be nice to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> this classic stuff, isn't it? The, yeah, no, you just when you need yeah, live radio, eh? 
Yes, live radio, that's the way it is. Um, and very live and very much on the other end of this phone is Greg Farrell. Good morning, Greg. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Good, mate. Um, sounds busy out there? Yeah, I'm just at football. I've just had a, a couple of players calling sick for a game. Oh, where else would you be, mate? Um, how is things going out there in the football? I see the social leagues are kicking off and there's um, people asking, inquiring about teams. Is, is it too late or is there still... Well, obviously, players missing. Should be a, a gap for someone. Uh, this is one of our, our little junior teams, the under-13 girls. So if anybody has a 11, 12, 13-year-old daughter who wants to play, definitely still in need of a few more of them. Um, but, yeah, the, the social leagues are all... Uh, ramping up into summer. Um, we've got Mount Lawley Futsal Club and, and West Perth Futsal Club in Netherlands. They've got the men's, the women's, the, the mixed social competitions all going. Um, and then the, the Super League are over at, in Subiaco. It's all, um, all going gangbusters at the moment from very early in the morning until quite often very late at night. And is there anything going on anywhere else in the country? I think Queensland seems to be the epicentre of everything this week. But, um, you know, is there anything going on nationally, internationally? Yeah. Uh, it was the, the first round was in Brisbane, I think, three weeks ago. And now they're in the ACT this weekend. Um, so there's, there's teams from up and down the East Coast. Unfortunately, it was a little bit late notice for us to be involved in it this year, but... We'll, we'll be involved in it with starting from next year. Mm, it's good to hear. Um, in the local scene, um, there's been some changes to the women's league structures. What's your thoughts on on those changes? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be very interesting to see how things go. Um, we have below the MPL, I think there's been a lot of changes over the last several years where... Yeah. The leagues have struggled to get consistency um, in both the the junior leagues that are underneath within the MPL clubs, but then also the um, the actual divisions below the MPL, the state league, the amateur league. So, the introduction Sorry. of a, an under 13s competition for junior girls, I think 14s was the earliest. So there were a lot of those younger girls. Um, physically disadvantaged, and it was the first year they were on a big pitch. So I think the 13s is probably a good investment. Yeah, oh, yeah, most definitely that is. We we definitely need to add more age groups yeah. to the junior girls so that there are more opportunities for female junior players. But then also with the, the State League, the Amateur League, there's been a, I don't know whether it's a big push or sort of a, an idea, a mindset that the division below the MPL shouldn't incorporate MPL clubs because that's the way that it happens in the men. Unfortunately, male and female people are different, and the I guess I didn't get that memo. Of, <laughs> yeah, the spectrum of players that are available in the women's game is just not the same yeah. as in the men. So this constant desire to make it look the same is just ridiculous. I think... Uh, the, rules, the, the rules and the competition structure should be different yes. because they are different. And I think Football West now have got the memo and are allowing MPL sides again to 
be in the division below. Um, hopefully they get the the makeup of it right and choose the, the clubs that are going to be the strongest, have the strongest teams. The State League in the last two years, since they went the way that they did, has been a little bit of a joke. There's been two and maybe three decent teams in it and then the rest are, are not even as strong as a lot of Metro teams. So the amateur division was quite strong, had five or six very good sides, yep. all of whom were stronger than the, the bottom the bottom three in the state league. Yeah. So it made it a little bit a little bit silly. Hopefully they're looking to rectify that now. Um, and and fingers crossed the division below the MPL will now be a little bit more competitive and, and have some teeth to it. I think that was always the problem, sort of, I think, uh, with the women's game is that they just seem, as you said, they just sort of seemed to just follow what the men were doing and, and to, to, to a lesser extent, the sort of the boys' MPL and so forth. And it, that, hasn't, that hasn't really worked brilliantly well. So it was kind of strange that they were, seemed to be following the same model when, as you said, there's, there, are, there are slight differences, but they're quite big differences um, between sort of the, the competitions. And, um, yeah, I think what you were saying, that you've got to cater for what the market is. And, you know, there's definitely, in terms of numbers, the numbers aren't quite there. There's definitely quality there, but the numbers, and I think you need to take that into consideration. I think that's, I think that's always been the problem where it's sort of, sort of just following the men's game when, or, you know, when it's really, it should be looking to be its own entity and build on its own entity. Um, that, that, you know, that's the view from the outside and sort of talking with the likes of Anguli and so forth who sort of is big in the women's game that it, it really should be its own entity and sort of doing what is best for its, itself rather than just sort of following the lead of what really hasn't been a great model you know, for the men and the junior boys. Yeah, well, and that was... Um, with all of the reviews and the, the information that gets delivered to Football West, that was a very big thing, that they were told that the State League competition, if they introduced it the way they were going to, was going to end up the way that it did. And that was by people who are on the ground and know what they're talking about. And, of course, it, it has ended up like that. So now, like I said, there's hopefully more of a push from them to listen to people who have some sort of an idea of what's going on. And I think the structure that they've come up with this time is much more suitable and much more what we need. Um, and then it's just a matter of the clubs doing the right thing and ensuring that we, we have good competitions and good teams moving forwards. Yeah, I mean, like looking at some of them, like an increased junior team and facility requirements for the MPLWA is not a bad thing. Um, a new women's masters for the over 35s comp that'll please Penny. I think she's just made that one. Sorry, what was that? You just broke uh, up women, women's over 35s. So you know, Penny will be happy. She she just scrapes in there. Yeah, yeah. The the women's over 35s is a good idea. Um, it it keeps particular people who we want in the game in the game. Yeah. And it, it it's something that I think will hopefully allow more uh, female coaches to stay in the game if they're not not still playing at an MPL level, but they can still have fun, have a kick around. It's that connectivity with, with the club, though, isn't it? You know, they, they well, don't, and, don't lose contact. They can, 
No, exactly. They can stay engaged with the club because there is that option there. And, and it gives you a, a range of mature role models that can help um, other players, other coaches. Um, you know, you don't have to actually be a player or a coach to to help out around the club. So you know, it's a it's a good way to keep people connected. Do you think it? Um the, you know, so the the way they're looking at doing it is, you think it's 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 looking after the grassroots because it's all very well looking at after, after the elite, but I've always said, and I think, oh, you know, my opinions yeah. as I said with the junior boys and so forth is that we've gone this elite path trying to focus on the top, trying to get that top three or four percent, which will always be there, but you know we've sort of we haven't really looked after the well, the, the, the grassroots. And I it's understand. The same what, I understand what you're saying with it's, the girls. It's, it's the top three four percent. But if you don't have a larger group of people playing, it's a smaller three or four percent. And I think at the girls, it's really important because I said the, the numbers aren't as big as the boys and the girls. But I think it's really important that they do look going forward because of what's happening next year and getting that structure right. It's, it mm. can't just be that, that the top level. Do you think that it's that that grassroots level for the clubs who aren't the MPLs that where you do have girls? Because I've I've had uh, coach junior mixed teams boys, and I've had some. I've, in fact, I've got my own, one of my my under fourteens uh, going fifteen. Charlotte too. She's she's still playing uh, with me. Very very good player, and she she wants to play with the boys as much as possible because she feels that she's you know that competitive element she's getting. Yeah. Um, do you think, especially with the World Cup coming up, is that the structure? Is it really going to make sure that grassroots level? Um, is, is is really going to thrive? Because I think to me that's that's the vital part. Well, by by adding the the extra age group, they've at least given clubs an opportunity to try and expand what the grassroots is. Um, is it going to help the grassroots? This, this structure, maybe because MPL clubs will have to do more in terms of having juniors and helping juniors. But I also think. NPL clubs need more assistance. Like, there's not uh, an endless supply of volunteers, and people are getting burnt out faster and faster these days because mm. the world's moving so quickly and has been in a weird place. It, it's not so easy anymore to volunteer your time when you're paying two dollars a litre for petrol and you're a, a fortnight to fortnight single parent or, or whatever it is. So. I think clubs need assistance. We need to do more, and and we've spoken about this multiple yeah. times. We need we need to do more as a game to encourage, entice sponsorship, and even just government funding that will help us to then help those people who are giving up their time and yeah. And look, I think that with, with the volunteer though, there is there's no reason why you cannot. Um, pay them for their their fuel, um, provide um, a meal or drink, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, alcoholic drinks, but there's certainly, I know at our club, we, we do provide people who volunteer with, uh, on match day, we'll get, uh, you know, a feed and a, and a drink. And, um, you know, all those little things help. Funding is really hard um, because we don't have that much top-down funding. We have no or very little government funding. Um, is that the responsibility of Football West or the government or is that of the clubs to have a, a responsible model going forward? Um, you know, I've seen it in the adult or in the, uh, in the male game, the the price now to play at the elite level in the NPL is is phenomenal and I don't see why people should be parting with 1500 bucks before Christmas for 
a spot in a team that's not guaranteed and, and not refundable um, and where that's going to go. I mean, I, I think if we, if we had a Pele or a Messi born in Perth, unless he was born in a moneyed family, he would not make a state team. Well, no, we've potentially had five or six of them. Yeah. In the last in the last 20, 30 years, who no one's ever known because they couldn't afford to go on whatever trip it was that was going to help them get. Well, it's not just the trip. I mean, it's the, to play for an NPL club in the season, um, you know, we're looking at what I think the cheapest is eleven hundred bucks, um, and upwards from that, it's it's not, you know, good money. And then when you've got when you've got three or four kids playing, um, that's a, a huge chunk out of the the post COVID and um, economic de- decline um, household budget. And you, you might even have to choose who you who you played. Um, it's you know. The cost of the game is is borne by the by the player and the the, the parents, and I, I know. And don't get me started on the inadequacies of the funding to the game. When you look at what the state government and federal government give to the AFL, and the waffle, um, it's disgraceful. We we are nowhere near a, a fair suck on that sav. No, but we also have to look at ourselves and say, why not? Why aren't we doing more to get that? Yeah, I agree. I think it's. I was just talking about talking this the other day with my uh, with my boss at work, and um, you know, discussion were. You know, our game was built. You know, basically with the with uh, migrants who came in. Yeah. You know, it was a very ethnic based, and that, and that built a lot of the game early on. And we should never forget that, and we should build on that. But mm. I think. Not just that, but football itself has always been uh, very tri- tribalistic. Yeah, and I think um, it continues to be that way. And and I think I said, you know, I said to my boss who's who's been involved in the Wacker and also um, the Waffle and so forth. And I think we've missed a trick where we could follow that model. Okay, we don't have the funding, but there's certain things they do. I mean, even just going back to the the uh, the women's game, um, you know, to me, there's a great opportunity there for clubs to band together a little bit where you have your MPL teams and what you know why not take a, a waffle approach where those MPL teams have let's say the likes of the club I'm involved in Linwood which is a very social team but we've we produced some good junior players that have gone else and played now if they had a an MP, if we you know like for example Charlotte I've got um, if we if, you know she she could still play for me but you know that next stage is let's say a Murdoch that is our closest MPL yeah. you know that, that that there's a relationship there a two-way street, rather than potentially NPL clubs getting bigger and bigger and then bigger. I suppose, like with with the the waffle, though, you've got the those clubs that play in, in the waffle, and they're all set. And they all have their their feeder zones set up appropriately, and they're all in different areas. So you've got you know Swans out Midland Way, you've got the Falcons, um, Subiaco. They're all in their in their areas, and their catchment areas are very similar or, or at least set. So if a kid is growing up in that Subiaco um, West Coast side, that's where they're going to play. Mm. If someone's in the hills, they're going to play for, for Swan. And we don't have the same geographic locations. I mean, we, we've got Bayswater, Inglewood, Perth, um, all on top of each other. You've you've got Balcatta yeah. and um, I think Sterling. It's, I think it's hard for the for the male game. I think it's always it was, yeah. it was always going to be hard. I think especially when the NPL men first came in, what ten, twelve years ago. I think they had the opportunity to potentially look at that way. Yeah. But they 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 took a different path. Well, a very basic path. Yeah. But I think with the women's game, I think um, it's a little bit more spread out, a little bit. Um, but also uh, in terms of where the teams are located. But I I, I just think there's. There's that potential to sort of link up with 
because there aren't as many women women's teams as men. No. And and a lot of them are, um, are social or just coming to the state level. Yeah. And there's there's an opportunity there to so well look. Let's get together. Absolutely, and and we're not talking about mergers. We're talking about um, no feeders. Yeah, there's feeder clubs and, and arrangements that can be made through different terms that can can work for you. What's your thoughts, Greg? Well, that that was the way the MPL was set up in Queensland. Was that it was using a, a regional model, um, <clears throat> and just in the last few years, they've now moved to promotion and relegation with divisions below. But I mean it. It doesn't serve the same purpose as the way Football West set up the junior MPL here, where they have like I don't know seventy four MPL clubs, yeah. so that they can they can charge those clubs x amount of money and make sure that that profit is coming in for them. They're, there's not the population for the clubs that are here at the elite level. There's there's enough good players in Perth for ten MPL clubs in the juniors okay. and. Any, yeah. Anything, anybody who says otherwise is just completely kidding themselves. So it was set up for one purpose, and that was to make money for Football West. The no, other, is it really, uh, though? Because I, I don't think the cost for the Football West costs for the NPL are that extravagant. I, I don't think it's going to make or break <laughs> it. What does make or break it is having to have the. Um, the coach of a certain level of coaching badges and what they they get paid and then again what the the MPL or first division players get paid so there, there are other costs but the the football s costs are, are very minimal i think the on the registration it's it's a couple of bucks and i don't know what it is for the team registrations but it's not oh, it's, a little, it's a little bit more than um if you go for metro yeah. it, it is a bit more um not massively to justify the fees that we get paid, but yeah. but definitely, I, I think I think there is a little bit of uh, you know that sort of profiteering a little bit from Football West because of for what they provide. But, but then also yeah. from the clubs who are other members of Football West who went to Football West and bullied them into having a different system to the rest of the country, where when the rest of the country set up the MPLs, they were regional. For exactly the reason that you're talking about, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But, I, I but, think, but obviously, absolutely. when it was done here, twenty or so people went to football west. Well, I think it was initially fourteen, and then they added another seven. Like that. The, oh that yeah. Just has to be, it just has to be. No, look, you're not good enough. You're not ready. I, I think Stop. you're right. But there were also things where they they were went to a, a senior club and then there were senior clubs that were relegated that didn't want to get or let go of that MPL status and teams yeah. that went up that they suddenly gained it and I think the you know there was other people around that weren't at that level but had been at the elite end of junior sports so yeah it's a it's a tricky one and and look it's it's our own um curse it's, it's of, the, self, the self-interest that we have where people look at their own needs and wants and not uh, the greater good of the game. I mean, we can have a go at Football West as much as we want as well, yeah. but I always said it, the, the problems we've got here, it, it, you, you know, we can blame Football West for a lot of it and, it, and they get a lot of crap and sometimes well-deserved, but at the same time, I'm sorry, but the clubs are just as guilty. Oh, more, um, more guilty. You know, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think what you said, was, that was a perfect, bullied bullied Football West into getting what they wanted. Yeah. Because um, I, I was quite a big supporter of the NPL in its initial concept, what you know, but 
you know, after that year or two... It got bastardised. Oh, mm. and, and, yeah, it comes back to my point about the, you know, the tribalistic nature of, of the clubs. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, and that's... Uh, unfortunately, uh, I can think of about a handful of people off the top of my head who I would trust to make good decisions for the good of the game regardless of their club allegiance and there's there's probably a bunch of people who would say I'm not one um, they don't really know me and they're wrong but that's unfortunate for them mm. but it's kind of you have to have the right people making decisions because otherwise at the end of the day what happened with the women's state league happened what happened with the boys MPL happened it's just really poor decisions that end up having a negative effect even with juniors not being a part of the requirements for the women's game for so long. There was always people from Queen's Park back in the day who would, were in, in the women's standing committee meetings were always against the inclusion or the requirement for juniors to then be a part of the senior top division when it was the Premier League and then when it became the NPL. It was, it was too much work, whatever the reason was. They couldn't get players four junior teams, whatever it was, it, it was just perpetuating the problem. Yeah. Like all of this stuff, we could be 10 years further down the track if it wasn't for, for people's self-interest. In in the men's, in the junior MPL, people signing up clubs when they weren't ready, Football West not telling them, well, no, we're not going to do it like that because it's just not a good idea. Oh, no, but absolutely. And I, are, I can are. remember one, one club needed to, um, in inverted commas, borrow two teams to be compliant with, with the new MPL structure. Um, yeah. You know, and that, that wasn't the best start. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's been lots of, of self-interest. That's and still going on, by the way. Yeah, and then, well, the, the other thing that goes on now is those compliant sides where you've got um, kids who, who aren't of the ability or quality to play at MPL who are now getting flogged, what, 14, 15. Well, I, I just had a recent discussion yeah. with, with a colleague of mine about one of our, one of our players. Who's, he's, a, he's a good lad. He's a decent player, but he's, he's going to play for a certain club. And and, um, and you, look, he might develop and you, he might progress on but under 16s and, and paying over $1,200. And I just feel, how can you morally charge it to this player when he's, he's, he's probably not going to then go and play for the 18s MPL? He's, put, he's, he's very unlikely because, look, he's a decent enough player, but... He's fifteen, sixteen, and he's 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 behind it. And look, he will still play at a good level. And again, down. I think uh, how much of that is down to also parents who are buying into the dream that if I pay twelve hundred clubs to Club X, um, my boy will come out at the other end of that as as the next Lionel Messi. Or it's definitely that. But yeah. I, I, I also think you know there's still that. Um, yeah, I speak to a lot of lot of players now, and it, it's actually just. A lot of them are just playing MPL just because it's actually peer pressure now. It's a yeah. lot of peer pressure yeah. for players it's, if they're not playing MPL. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and it's part of I want that badge. My friends are telling me, you know, you and, and literally saying, oh, you're not good enough. Um, you know, I've got in in my academy, I've got players who are, you know, who actually aren't in my A side for my for one of my some of my teams mm. who are in an MPL side. Um, Instead of winding up the players who aren't playing NPL, well, you're not good enough, good enough. And it's like, well, you're actually not good enough to take their spot in, yeah, in, and, in my A-teams at school. So, And there are good programs outside of the NPL that are running um, 
good good coaching, good training, and you know, pl- players again. Um, I suppose the opportunity to play at a higher level. You know, we've got 16s playing 18s. We've got some 16s even making into the re- into the reserves and first teams um, outside of the NPL structure. So, you know, it's it is there. I, I just don't think that the current NPL model is successful or working the way it was meant to. Hmm. And, and the- oh, and there's there's a lot of like there's a, a lot of positives, of course. Yeah, but then there's also this whole trial culture. Which, oh. like, I, I know through through futsal, I know a player who, by the time he was fifteen, was on to his fourth MPL club. Yeah, and I think I think MPL starts at thirteen. Yeah. yeah, so thirteen, fourteen, and I think at one season he changed clubs halfway through a season, and yeah. then the next season I'm pretty sure he was at trials for a different club. Like, it's it's not helping clubs to build loyalty it's not helping players to build continuity and, and teams absolutely not to build continuity and, and, and what if you're there's in a... just absolutely no leadership from football west to say well hang on a second this is absolutely idiotic there's just a merry-go-round of people every single season so let's put some rules in place to stop it and assist the clubs in maintaining some sort of integrity. But, but it's the clubs that are doing it. It's not Football West that are putting those ads up for trials. It's the clubs that are doing it. And the clubs don't have to. I think as a, as a player for a club, if you if you were in an under-13s or 14s NPL side and you saw that the next for the next year, the team that you were in was advertising for trials and, and inviting you back for a trial, you go, what? I've got to play for my space now. I mean, you, you're already there. The club should invest in you and your development and should should continue to do so. And unless you move or, you know, um, change location for whatever reason or, or you do have a serious issue with the club, then, you know, you shouldn't be moving or, or, or shunting around. And that's what happens all the time is players shunt from club to club. I think you've got to remember this is it's junior sport. Yeah. It, it's, this is, you know, this is this whole thing of trying to focus on the... This what best method is to get to the to the, that five percent? It's like we're going about it the wrong yeah. way. But the why f- why would a kid who grows up in Linwood, who's playing for Linwood, then trial for a, for an NPL spot in Subiaco or in Sorrento? You know. Well, I had just on a side. Well, I I had five of my uh, five of my uh, boys uh, decide to go play NPL. And look, good mm-hmm. look, good luck to them. And look, they're good good players and good kids. Yeah. And um, but I did ask them the question when they were thinking of it. You know, did you know? What was your season like? And I said, did you find it competitive? And we were Metro Div 1, and we, we've got a young team. So 10, of, 10 11 of our boys are playing up. And they said every game, and every game was, like from bottom to tail up to top, every game, yeah. they said, we had to be at our best to play. And even the better players said that. Yeah. And we did. We did. Whenever we, we, we were off, gone. I said, did you, were you happy with my coaching? He said, yeah, you know, good, you know, good coach. Well, maybe they wouldn't. <laughs> maybe someone else should have asked that question. Um, um, but, you know, I hope they, they, were, they were honest with it. Um, did you enjoy your t- teammates? Did you get along? Oh, yeah, brilliant. You know, we had about three or four last-minute winners, and it was just scenes where the whole team were on, you know, on top of each other, goalkeeper running up, everything like that. And they said, that's oh, brilliant. I said, what about the, you know, the success side of it? I said, well, we were top of the table for halfway through the season. Then we finished third and we only just finished third, but it was really close. And then we won the top four. And I said, so you've covered all four aspects of, of the game, but you're still going to, you still think. What else is there? Yeah. And, it's sort of, and then you're going somewhere else to try and, walk, you know, and look, I get it, you know, but I just, again, it's junior sport and 
they, I've got some really, really good players. And look, if I was to put money on it, would any of them go and play for the glory? And I, I'll be confidently, and this is not having a go at them. I was, you know, I wasn't good enough, you know, to get to that level either. And I will put money on them that n- none of them are capable. And look, my own son's in there as well, um, because that's just the stats. I'm just basing it purely on stats. They're great players. Some of them are very good, but the chances of making it, even just the glory, is is exceptionally hard. And it's sort of so. What are we? What are we doing here? It's just sort of why. Let's just let them. To me, let them be that junior team, and and everything that junior development states is, you know, and the, and they just had that um, golden generation um, survey where they talked about being feeling part of something, being, belonging to a club, you know, feeling part of something over years, developing up, and then that earlier early senior exposure, you know, after. Years of you know five six years playing for a club and playing with my mates and doing that and all the studies everything junior development is it's is creating a sense of belonging and you know what it's not even development just just players but I, young I said teenagers this, I said this a while ago to somebody else people growing up yeah but the junior fo- football in its very f- formal and primal state is just get kids to love the game yeah so yeah, enjoy it and play yeah because you know look at uh, at my age, and I'm over 60, I still play a modified part, you know, type of the game because I love it. I've loved it since I was a child. And, I, you know, I still have ambitions to play for my country, which is crazy. Still, do. still got a chance. Still yeah. got two weeks. <laughs> I'm still but, playing, so I've got a chance. And the thing, the thing is that that has to be the basic building block is love of the game. Not, not about I'm going to be a professional. I know when, when my kids were playing, uh, my eldest was, was a good striker and became a, a very good centre-half. And people were saying to me, are you going to take the trials in England? My answer to them was, if he's still playing at 19 or 20, I'll be happy. And that was anywhere. Not, not just, you know, like a 10 or 11-year-old. Um, but, yeah. you know, if he's still playing in 9 or 10 years, I'm happy because that means he loves the game. Yeah, he's enjoying himself. Yeah, but just on on what what we were saying before as well with the the whole idea of of fostering that that sort of culture and and everything. If clubs aren't going to do it, which clubs have shown they're not, they're not able to show that leadership within the game to say, well, we're not going to have trials, we're not going to yeah. be a part of the merry-go-round. Then there has to be a body, a leader within the game to help get us oh better. i agree isn't is it football yeah. west well no definitely not so then but, it has to but be football the, australia but it has to be football west and, and the thing is that the clubs have to be the people driving that so it comes back to your self-interest story greg we could go on all day about this um and i, I do need to close you down because i've got anthony radich <laughs> on, waiting on the phone so um we will continue this i'm sure over the next few months so thank you very much for being on this morning no, gentlemen, you have a really yeah. good Saturday. And thank you for triggering Tony. It's always good when he's triggered. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. I, I didn't start the conversation, just letting you know. No, yeah, no, I, no. It's, that's what this, I, this I, is all I, about. I feel I was a little bit triggered as well. Yeah, no, it's good, mate. It shows you're passionate. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Have a good one. Cheers. All right, Greg Farrell, we didn't get on to talk about the Matildas, but there you go, that's how it goes. That's, it's, a, it's a great discussion to have. I think junior football, particularly eights, nines and tens, should be about learning to love the game. And I know of an, under, an under-eights coach who was sacked because he wasn't winning games. Crazy. The kids were loving it, but, you know. You've got to keep having the discussion because the, yeah. the only way you might get change is by just keeping it. All right, we're going to go to a break and we'll be back after that with Anthony Radich. <laughs>
You're listening to Community Radio, powered by passionate football volunteers just like myself. You can appreciate the entertainment by becoming a station member. Hi, I'm Phil Kelly, Chair of the Football West Men's State League Standing Committee. Listen in next for Western Australian local football news. The top station on your radio dial, Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Always gets me going on a match day, that one. Just love it. Standing yeah. in there in the stands and getting away. Do miss me shed days. Yeah, it's been a, been a long... It feels like it's been a long time where it's, it's you've sort of... We've had, you know that sort of feeling coming back and I think this 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 could be this could really regenerate what's going to happen well, you know the old feeling absolutely what's going to be happening in the, the next this the, season the man at the forefront of that generation joins us uh, that regeneration starts now um, is Anthony Radich and he's on the phone with us now good morning Anthony good morning Sean, Sean and Tony thanks for having me no great to have you on um, your second stint at the club, you were COO about five years ago before going to the Wildcats. Um, you're back. Have you, you noticed any major differences? Um, I think basically in what the club's endured over the last few years, um, it's been, uh, had significant impact on the club. So you know, that's probably the, uh, the most notable difference, that it really did impact um, you know, not only what the players had to go through on the field last year or the last couple of years, but... Um, off the field, you know, we're pretty depleted on the administration front. Yep. Um, yeah, and so there had to be a lot of rebuilding there. So, um, yeah, so that that is a marked difference. I think um, my last my last time I was there, we were on a bit of a trajectory off field um, in terms of membership and, and commercial growth and the like. Um, and then subsequent to me leaving, there was obviously some great on field success um, um, with Tony Popovich in particular being mm-hmm. at the helm. Um, but yeah, coming back, it's probably a different, completely different sort of picture now. That you know, we're almost um, we are almost a start from scratch proposition in a lot of ways, uh, you know, commercial wise. Um, and then obviously, with what's hit us of late uh, with our venue displacement from HBF Park, that makes that job a little bit tougher, a bit more challenging. But um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll knuckle down. We'll do the very best we can to you know uh, make the most of this season and hopefully build a, you know a solid platform going into next season. But um, yeah, so. To answer your question, it is it is quite different. Yeah, and I suppose look, not having uh, a home ground at the start of the season would have been kind of your, your number one priority. Find somewhere, find it fast, and make it happen. Um, we, we've settled on Macedonia Park, um, has some advantages and some deficits. But um, looking at the pictures, it's it's developing nicely. Yeah, like you said, um, you know, we, we'd um, we'd sort of. Um, we're under the impression we would have the four games away um, from home to begin the season that we weren't, weren't able to play at HBF Park, but then to learn um, of the delays at um, HBF Park not being completed by December and then having been impacted with a further six games being lost. Um, and it didn't give us a lot of time at all to um, you know, try and find a, an alternative solution. Uh, so we didn't find an alternative solution or head, head play away games east, which we didn't want to do. So, um, like you said, it did, regardless of where we went um, and ended up, um, you know, there's going to be pluses and minuses, um, and no no solution was going to be an ideal one. Um, just given that the infrastructure just just isn't in existence for football, you know, there's no you know, uh, there's no um, alternative to HBF Park in terms of amenity, um, 
that's required to, to run an A-League game. But Macedonia Park is taking shape. Um, we've got a first women's game there on the 27th. Uh, I think it's slowly falling into place. Um, yeah, we just, like I said before, we'll do the very best we can in the circumstances. But I think, you know, we'll take um, we'll take as many positives as we can. And I think being in the, the suburban heartland, in a, you know, in a nice, the confines of a nice compact stadium, um, you know, in, in the heartland of football, in the, in the Sterling catchment, um, yeah, it will be a nice sort of reconnection to the grassroots and, and you know, a real football atmosphere. Yeah, I saw an interview uh, between yourself and Gareth Morgan the other day which answered a lot of the questions the fans have been asking. Um, but there's still some things in the background. I mean, the the train station's, what, four, just over four kilometres away. Um, is there going to be a shuttle bus service? Because relying on the, the um, public bus service is going to be a you know, hit and miss. Yeah, um, I'm not sure of the distance of the train station. I know that from a car drive, it's about a two or three-minute car drive uh, to the train station. Um, I know the city of Stirling are you know, looking at the, the transport plan right now and they had considered shuttles, um, whether that's through Transperth or something that they initiate themselves. But um, So that's still still in discussion. Um, but, yeah, we're going to do the best we can. We've, we've um, got access to Parkland, the rear of Macedonia, uh, Macedonia Park, um, which can accommodate quite a few cars. Um, yeah, but um, train station is nearby, Um Probably, uh, yeah, I'm not too sure if you're, you're calculating around the distance. Like I said, it's probably a two or three minute car. Yeah, I think I, it's, I think from memory, it's 4.1 kilometres, which is, is it? Yeah. yeah, probably okay. for for some just a little too far to be walking. Too far but, to walk. Yeah, hundred yeah. um, percent. Yeah, particularly if you've had a few. Particularly if you've had a few. Yeah, yeah. I take your point. Um, but then there's other other groups. You've you've got quite um, a large. Um, contingent of older um, fans and also um, a very loyal band of uh, people that are uh, mobility compromised in one way or another. And I know because I've, I've had to actually go through the website and follow everything for the membership um, sale on, on Tuesday, you have taken care of those. And, and obviously the preference is if you, you can manage without your wheelchair for a short period of time there's there's seating being made available and that if you are completely wheelchair wheelchair bound that there's also been provision made for you yeah there certainly has um and you know in, in ratio to the size of the venue the capacity uh, you know i think it, it's um it's on par to what we have you know and in a bigger venue but um like i said before there's this unfortunately going to have this compromises made in all sorts of areas we're not going to have the ideal situation but um, mm. we definitely have provision we definitely have provision um, yeah. of those amenities yeah absolutely. and i suppose look from a i know you're big on rebuilding the brand um and i think you know in some ways the the season hasn't started well um obviously losing bruno didn't Help. I mean, I've I've got my own opinions on that. If he doesn't want to be a team player, then he's he's not in a team. But um, for me, the the four and a half five thousand fans actually builds up an exclusive amount of tickets that are available, and you know that that in itself would breed some interest in the brand. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I agree. You know, having having a packed house there um, in full voice certainly help. Um, as will some as, as will some wins on the field, you know. There's no, no shying away from the fact that you know um, we can do all the hard work we, we like off the field, and yeah. we're definitely doing that um, with the team we've got. But um, there's nothing like winning. So I think you know sprinkled in with the, with a few victories, um, you know, with a, better with the tonic. But um, yeah, no, like, like I said, we are big on brand. We want to make sure that you know um, 
looking in particular into next season that you know we're, we we um, we're a completely different um, look uh, both on and off the field. You know, in terms of our professionalism and, and our culture, it's really like a cultural reset for us um, as a brand in totality. We want to get out with the community more, um, get our brand out there. You know, we've got more professional in the way we act and behave, and, and be better in the way we communicate with our members and the like. Um, and that's going to take some work to do, but um, we're yeah. certainly intent on doing it. And within that, obviously, Facebook um, is one of the mediums that is used exclusively by um, some of the trolls out there. And I imagine that if you manage to bring in the entire current Man City side, they say you, you've, you've forgotten all about the, the local um, youth and should be, you know, even though we're winning every game, there's no locals playing. So some people will never be happy no matter what you do. Um, are you looking at how you engage across the entire club from, you know, the players through the CEO in engaging with fans on Facebook? Yeah, absolutely. And um, like I said, it is, a, it is a rebuild and we've had to address the group in terms of the key messaging and the light of, you know, that we want to communicate on as a club. Um, we'll be doing some work, you know, in and around our culture as a club as well, which is ongoing. Um, but yeah, every area of the club um, needs a rebuild. It's a rebuild in totality. So, you know, right through from things, things like merchandise, right through to you know, the media and comms department, uh, corporate area membership, um, right through events, community and the like. We basically... Um, having a re-look and a rethink around everything and the way we go about it, the way we do things um, to improve. But um, it's not something that we can t- flick the switch on and then, you know, to be hit with a curveball like we have uh, sort of set us back uh, um, a bit as well. But um, like yeah. I said, um, we just got to pay heads down, thumbs up and work as hard as we can and just stay focused on, you know, what we believe is right for the club. And in some ways it, it gives you um, some good controls over um, things like that. Well, I saw the advert go out for the food vans. So... I think at, at HBF you're stuck with the, the vendors that they provide you. Um, so you've got an opportunity now to have a great variety of, of different foods at that at the venue. Um, so that's one one area. I think I don't know how how the the bar system will work because I've I've been to the bar at Sterling and it's it's not bad. But I think four and a half thousand people in there will will test it. Yeah, I think you'll find you'll, there'll be some, some more pop-up amenities in and around the yeah. ground um, ra- rather than just what's in situ there at the moment. So, yeah, no, there would definitely be uh, provision for food and beverage and that's something that Benji's West is working directly with Macedonia Park on. Um, naturally, uh, we'll have a say in it, but predominantly the, the, um, the agreement rests between Benji's West and, and, uh, and the club. All right, and the, the shed has always been a feature of the, the glory since day one. Um and I know from the times we've been to Optus and had the, the very active fan base who like to stand and sing and shout um, have been at odds with some of the people who just want to sit there in the seat and watch the game passively. <laughs> um, do you have a designated area for those people to, to stand where we're, if you're going to have uh, one or two Karens, for want of a better word, um, going, oh, I want to sit here and watch the game get down? Yeah, there's the, the southern end of the ground will be um, will be the will be the shed end. Will be um, that's what we'll be sort of earmarking exclusively to the shed. Um, there will be standing and seating options there, some tiered seating there um, of around 500, I think, or, or there or thereabouts. But um, adjacent to that, there is um, the ability to stand, and obviously um, there will be provision for a fair bit of standing and yeah. and standing close to the action. I think you know it's going to be um, pretty rare for what you see around sport that you know the fans are going to be so up close and personal um, in this venue. Um, Yeah, no, I remember back at um, HBF back in the day when when we 
we first started, we'd be standing at the what is now the family stand end, and literally touching distance away from the goalkeepers. That's and right. yeah, it was um, yeah, great a great view, and you've really felt like you're on the park. So yeah, I think that that closeness it would be a good thing. The um, side opposite the the, the main stand i take it that will be mainly for the broadcast and um media yeah predominantly we're still still we're pretty much dictated by broadcasting what they need until they iron like nail down 100 percent what they require there we won't really know what we can accommodate in and around that infrastructure but there's a fair bit going in on that side like uh media and broadcast scaffolds var um, camera scaffolds and the like big screen so until, until all that sort of infrastructure is um, sort of um, in situ, um, you know, in correlation with what the broadcast requires, we'll then work out, you know, what sort of standing we can uh, accommodate in around that end. But you're correct. The majority of the attendees will be on the other three sides of the ground. Yeah, and I think look, it's, you've got to make the best of a bad job. I suppose, look, ideally you would have your own ground, um, which you would then have domain over because I think HBF always prioritise their um, their concerts and gigs over over the who is the main tenant um, is is the football club and the rugby club, but it would be nice if we could over a period of time develop a, a proper fit for purpose facility that um, was able to be managed and run by by both entities. Yeah, I mean, the ultimate goal for the club, um, you know, the strategic vision for the club needs to be that it has exactly that, like you said. Um, you know, in order for this club to, to survive and be sustainable long-term and be competitive, uh, it needs its home. It, it needs a home, an administration base, equipped with, you know, um, relevant training pitches and fields and, and all the, you know, related amenities, you know, mm. from media to recovery to physios to, to medical and the like. Um, you know, and you see that even in Australia now, if you look at something like with the Western Wanderers and what they've got, you know, yep. in terms of their training facilities and amenities that Melbourne City got. So the league is getting um, very professionalised, um, as it should, and, and the club, you know, needs to head in that direction. Otherwise, it will be left behind. But um, that is something that definitely is, um, in, you know, in our thinking and our plans. Um, there are some discussions afoot, but you know, those things, you know, don't come around easy and don't come quickly. Um, Long-term planning. You know, yeah, and then you know, maybe as an interest step, um, you know, to that ultimate goal is you know, potentially um, linking up with our friends at Football West and the State Football Centre and being accommodated there as part of a stage two, you know, of um, of that facility. But, you know, these are discussions to be had. But you, you're correct in what you say. That's definitely um, that's definitely where the club needs to head. I mean, if you look at us now, we've you know, got an elite men's stream and elite women. Uh, got the academy for the junior men. It'll be an academy for, for women in the near future. Um, and, you know, you need home grounds. You need training fields for all of them. And, um, Know, um, at the moment, we're a little bit all over the place in terms of where we train and where we play for all those respective streams. So. Yeah, and look, oh, yeah. right the way up to the highest level, you're, you're now reliant on the state league clubs for venues um, to play out of on a, on a match day. So I think, you know, if you had the ability to play out of a boutique um, venue, that would help. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it's, it's it's just a, it's a problem for sport in, in general. It's the lack of green space. Um, you know, obviously now the summer sports are kicking in, and um, you know um, they're, they're taking a lot of priority on green space. And then in other cases, you know, um, the fields are getting in, you know in for repair and rejuvenation over yeah. the summer. So, so it is tricky. Um, you know, for all sports, and all sports are now all year round. You know, gone are the days when sports were confined to you know set season. Um, so no, definitely. But, uh, yeah. 
And I think we look at it, we're, we're no orphans as, as a sport. Every sport's been affected in one way or another through COVID and every sport's affected one way or another through the, the economic um, situation at the moment. And then also you look at teams that have been very successful that over that period of time have become less successful. As an article in the paper today, um, listen to the fans in, in the West Australian, um, largely directed at the Wildcats, but, you know, they've... They're in a very similar position. They're, they're used to success. The fans want success. They, they're at a point in their their cycle where they're not successful. New coach. Um, you know, so there's a lot of similarities um, driven by the same factors. And, you know, sometimes I think we we listen to the fans a lot, but really on, the, on things like coaches and players, we've got to listen and, and trust in the club. But also the, the, the club has got to communicate um, some of those things, maybe just a little better. Yeah, and I think what you sort of alluded to there in that article, I mean, the thing that's made the Wildcats so great is its culture. Yeah. It's culture, is, you know, it's culture amongst its internal staff, it's culture developed amongst the fans. It's, it's a culture, and it sends a clear message in that article is don't, don't tinker with culture, you know, don't try. You know, there's all the, there's little one percenters of the Wildcats do, and you know, I've lived in that environment for five years. Yeah. It was an amazing culture, and, um, you learn to appreciate that the small things um, that um, have been built over many, many years to make it successful. And, uh, mm. yeah, like you say, you, um, you want to tinker at your own peril um, messing around with culture. And that's, you know, for us as a club, we need to determine, you know, what our culture is, what our values are, um, what our behaviours are as a club, and then stick steadfast to them. Um, so we're in a we're in a different space to the Wildcats, but I think, yeah, yeah. that, that uh, article you know, is a great reminder of the importance of that. Like I remember back in the day, we we weren't going so well um, on the park, but we had um, Steve Armstrong belting out tunes. We had um, activities all around the park. The fans really felt engaged and part of it. You had some really good um, and and sort of magnetic magnetic personalities in people like Bert Stanger at the helm, who you know he just drew people in. Uh, Mitch Davray was was a little colder, but they still. He had a very successful team, but there was always that sense of belonging, and always that it doesn't matter what the score was. I can remember, um, you know, being up in the shed saying, "You know, we're 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 bad, and we know we are, but we still love the club, and we still enjoyed the game, and we still enjoyed being part of it." Uh, and I suppose it's getting back to those values, isn't it? Yeah, and exactly what you've described is probably the same reason we're talking now because we both fell in love with that. You know? um, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, as a, as, a, as a younger person. Um, that's where I fell in love with um, that that era and the, the birth of the glory and what they brought to the landscape. And, you know, and I think what you see now in sort of the BBL and you know this the, the, the sort of products that are being um, built in and around sport. Um, I think Glory was ahead of its time. You know, in terms of that you know that entertainment package and that that game that game day experience. Um, and you know, full credit to, to the you know to Paul Afkos and Nick Tara and, and, and you know for bringing that to Perth and creating that and um, opening eyes. To sport more generally across Australia. You know? Visionaries um, they were. Sorry? They were visionaries. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely they were. Absolutely they were. Yeah, they knew the potential. So um, on Tuesday morning, the um, tickets go on sale to members. You can buy a 10-game uh, membership package. Yeah, so you probably have a pre-sale on Tuesday. I think it runs till 3 to Thursday. Yep. Uh, you, can buy, you can buy the 10-game packages. Um uh, there, um, yeah, and then post Thursday they go open to the general public. But um, yeah, if 
you, you definitely can get in and buy all ten games and secure your, you know, um, secure your attendance at the game, not your seat, unfortunately, mm-hmm. no reserve seating, but um, you can certainly secure your attendance at, at all ten games as much as in the park and stuff. And you know, then, with how many members do we currently have? Um, that's a very good question. What the actual count is at present? Oh, you've got me, you've caught me on the spot there because yeah. of what we've done with yeah. But um, oh yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be lying if I gave you a figure. So I won't quote you a figure of what we're actually sitting at right now. Yeah, but I mean, the, the, there's a fair chance that the the, the tickets could all go. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely could. Yeah, absolutely could. Absolutely could. And then general admission tickets will be after the pre-sale. Um, and will tickets be available at the door? No, they won't be, so everything will be online. So basically, you know, you need to get online and get your ticket online because uh, there won't be tickets at, at the gate. Um, again, talking about, the, you know, the infrastructure and, and the predicament we're in, that, you know, with the last thing, just given the build there is to have lines of people lining up just to affect that, that patron experience, and that's something we want to try and avoid. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Having a full ground will, will be a massive difference um, for us. Rather than playing in a, a big cathedral with, with a small crowd, we're going to be playing in a very boutique situation. Love to see the, the ground full. Would love to hear the, you know, the glory shed there um, drowning out everybody, which is really what their function is. Um, and, and that hopefully would, would impact on the on-field performances. Yeah, most certainly. I think there's nothing. I mean, everything's proven. If you look at statistics, it's, you know, home, the home ground advantage is a real thing. You know, it's very hard to win away on the road, and it's, you know, it's been proven for many years for the team across all codes in WA that you know, it's it's very hard to win away. Um, um, yeah. So yeah, definitely being back at home will be a real boost, and you know, we're really looking forward to it because I think you know, if you look through that period December through to uh, end of February, I think we've got nine or thirteen games at home, which is great. So. Um, um, something for everyone to really look forward to over the summer. That should be a cracking summer. Absolutely. Look, all the best with the rebuild. I think um, it was about time we caught a break. It's been several years um, where everything seems to have gone against us. Luck has to turn at some point. Um, and I think we've got the right man at the helm for the job. Oh, thank you. Yeah, but like, but like I said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and it will make everyone stronger. Everyone within the club, our members, and fans, we, you know, we'll... I believe we'll get stronger through this and we'll all be better for it, you know, in a peculiar way. But, um, yeah, um, I really appreciate everyone's sort of their patience um, and understanding because it is difficult. It's a diff- very difficult situation. Um, yeah. Yeah, Look, but like you... I said, we're, just, we're keen just to, to make sure that we're back here in Perth in front of our fans and not, you know, and not you know, residing, residing over the East Coast like has been the case. Absolutely. Thank you very much for your time, Anthony. No, thanks, Sean. Thank you. Anthony Radich of Perth Glory. Um, and look, there's some people out there that probably need to go and support another club, but I'm glory till I die. No, it doesn't matter what the results are on the park. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be, it's interesting just listening, um, you know, what he said about the culture. And I think it's... Look, I, I would never got into the glory in those early days because I was working generally pretty much uh, part of my part-time job every time there was a game on. So I never got to saw one or two games. So I never really got into the glory as in... A proper fan until I sort of started taking my boys because I wanted us to get them to see live football and yep. you know we we did that for you know pretty much up until COVID hit um, and there was a really good spell there where they seemed to get in that culture right and it seemed to be you know there seemed to be a buzz about the ground and then it, it, it went and I'm not quite sure why and I think this this could be a great opportunity I think what you said there Boutique Stadium you know we 
you know, HBO Park, it's, 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 it's a good rectangular stadium, but, you know, maybe the long term is a 10,000-seater. It's nice when it's nice when you've got sixteen or eighteen thousand in there, and it's really good. But you know, when you've got four or five in there, it's just lost. Even even yeah. even ten, you, you spread out a little bit, and you know, maybe that you know, going to the suburbs, and, and maybe that long term approach should be okay. Yeah, if we have a ten thousand seat stadium, yeah, we may not get twelve, thirteen, but then it becomes exclusive, and it people builds, want to come. That's right. It, it builds it builds that um, exclusivity, and and people want to be on that ticket. And you look at the the West Coast Eagles of old, they had waiting lists that were two, three years long for memberships. And that's, you know, that's where you'd want to be, that if you're not a member, don't even bother trying to go. But imagine, to yeah, club. but going to a, you know, a state, let's say there's 10,000 people, you know, and, and there's 3,000 that couldn't get tickets. And that feeling, you know, um, well, like I said, that, that period, I think, um, I mean, I remember that game where the, the Wanderers came, I think it was their first or second season, and that was buzzing. Yeah. You know, there was, they had about probably a couple of hundred, if yeah. not more. And, and, and the glory, we didn't pack out the stadium, but there's probably a good 13, 14, 15,000 there. Yeah. And, you know, and it did feel like we, we you know. Oh, the, Ad- the Adelaide the semi-final. Um, oh, yeah. yeah I was, was, a, I was at theirs. That was a huge game and, and what an atmosphere. And that was what, I think, just under 18. So. And it, it highlighted, yeah. you know, the, the mistake they made, I, I think, personally, going to Optus Stadium, you know, because when, yeah. when the HBF was full, that was that was that was the point. We were, that was the best game I've been to the glory. Um, my boys were there. Um, I had I was sitting with a few mates mm. and. But I suppose that that's also the the issue around the, the local game is that we we can't get you know crowds six or eight thousand to a glory game. They make a final. We fill the the home ground mm. with eighteen in the semis, and then come the the final. All of a sudden, we've got forty five thousand people want a ticket. That's a bit of a WA. It's not. I don't think it's just yeah. football. I think it's a bit no, of a no, WA it's thing. WA, yeah. It's a WA thing. Very I think. Much. Jump on that bandwagon. Um, but yeah. I, I said, I think in the long term, that if you, if they can go, like say, get, aim for more of an exclusive there and look at the, because to, to be fair, you, you, the facilities we have, you know, for a lot of clubs are, are pretty decent for the level of the game, and so the, there is options there where you could like what I mean, what they're doing with, uh, you know. Macedonia Park. It looks it looks pretty good. I mean, obviously it's only, it's a lot smaller than what you want. But if like I said, if, you, if they could aim for that little boutique stadium, that would be a place where you know you look back in the old pictures of the of of the glory when there was sixteen thousand, and it's probably you know st- stadium that probably fit fifteen thousand. Yeah. You know, and there's people on the grass just behind the goal. I know. Well, we're, we're no on one the, no one would want to come and play. We're on the grass that. behind that goal. I remember we we played um, uh, who was it the Croatian team and. Um, yeah, we had Miller did the aeroplane after he scored the winning goal. But that was, you know, fantastic atmosphere. You're right within yelling distance of the goalkeeper. He could hear everything you said. It was intimidating. Mm. And I remember Vaz Caligarakis turning two big central central defenders on the edge of the box. And you, you felt like you were next to him when he did it. You know, it's brilliant. And, and I think that closeness is going to really pump up the Yeah, I like I said, they might atmosphere. lose a couple of thousand, you know, but... Having that, yeah, that that closeness, that boutiqueness, that that mm. niche, that that to me, that's how you build a culture. Absolutely, not in not in not in cathedrals where it's never no. full. We're going to go to a break. We'll be back after this with Ben Smith, and we'll be talking about the uh, European leagues and the lead into the World Cup final. Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman, welcome. 
hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 92586822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au. Station sponsor. Hi, I'm Peter Skeeler. Everyone seems to think I'm the ultimate wingman and full of helpful information. It's true, I am. My passion is trivia and Australian football statistics. Check out aleaguestats.com, my website where you can follow all the stats and results from the men's and women's A-leagues from the beginning of time, or at least 2005 and 2008 respectively. You're listening in to the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle and we appreciate you tuning in. One oh seven point nine FM, your local station. So TC, hard to believe we're only what two or three weeks away from a World Cup. Distance just doesn't feel right at the moment. Well, it's yeah. I, I, look, I love the World Cup. It's it's yeah. it's um, it is a bit morally hard to sort of really get fully into it. But I know I'm going to get into it. I can't. Uh, I'm, just gonna have, I'm just going to have to. I mean, look, I can't really say much. You no. know, what with uh, with the the so-called blood money of Newcastle. So <laughs> if I'm right behind that, I've, I've just got to just keep going with it, I guess. Um, but uh, no, look, you it's, hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> okay, joining us this morning to talk about the EPL may may even mention that that. Newcastle um, is Ben. I thought Smith. that's the only thing we we're going to be talking about. <laughs> ben, good morning. How are you? Oh, hang on. How are you guys doing? Yeah, good, mate. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. It's uh, yeah, pretty uh, easy uh, Saturday at the moment. Not doing too much. Probably watch Glory a bit later. But yeah, uh, yeah, on no, at no, two o'clock versus Melbourne City. Be interesting. Um, just saying to TC, two or three weeks out from a World Cup, it doesn't feel like it's that close to a World Cup because the, the season that is in Europe seems to be consuming everything. And normally with the World Cup, it's in the off-season. There's a lot of build-up, a lot of interest. So it just doesn't feel right to me. Yeah, I've had this conversation a few times recently. The fact that, you know, the World Cup is less than three weeks away. And um, it's, it's a very different type of build-up. Because like you say, the seasons in Europe are... Obviously in full swing, and uh, I think everyone's attention is on those at the moment. And uh, it's going to be a kind of uh, a pretty quick shift uh, to uh, you know to, to international football. Normally we have a, feels like we have a month of build up. Normally this this time around, I think we're going to have one or two weeks, if that. So it's uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be uh, um, a, a very different experience in uh, more ways than one. And the other thing that seems to be happening at the moment, because we're actually right in the middle of an active season, there seems to be an awful lot of players that are, are going to miss out on the World Cup. And I'm not talking about, you know, um, goalkeepers like Van Saru, the fifth in line for the, or sixth in line for a, a, a Spanish goalkeeper shirt, but more of the likes of um, Son, Mbappe, Kante, Pogba. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of players who will not make the World Cup because they've been injured in their, the midst of their season. Yeah, there is, um, I mean, because, obviously because the World Cup is in, is it a, a, 
Well, I think well because it's in November. There's been more. The schedule has been condensed to try and fit in as many games, uh, you know, as possible before World Cup. Um, and that's resulted in a lot of injuries, like you say. You know, uh, Paul Pogba's out. Um, you know, uh, Golo Kante's out. So, you know, two two key cogs in the French midfield, yeah. uh, both missing. Um, you know, England, uh, who obviously have. You know, a, a glut of right backs at the moment. You know, Kyle Walker and Reese James are in, you know, races against time to be uh, to be fit for the World Cup now. And uh, Chilwell's not yeah, looking actually, good. Just making Gareth's yeah, m- selection like is nice and easy. Well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, I think as well. I was reading something the other day. Yeah, the last World Cup there were going to be there was five games in the uh, five days in between games in the group stage. I think there's a. Oh, you just. Yeah, so you just dropped again, out there for a moment. Of, um, yeah, no, I was, you know, probably, uh, this World Cup is going to be three days between games in the group stage rather than, you know, five between games, which was at the last World Cup. So again, you, even at the World Cup, the schedule is still going to be quite condensed. Yeah, it's going to be a hectic schedule throughout that, that World Cup. And then you're going to have players that have been playing at that level who then come back into teams that have been basically just in a, a training regime so they're not match sharp, match fit. And, uh, uh, you know, when you're at that elite end, those little one percenters can make a huge difference. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, when, you know, as we know enough, you know, from sports science, but, you know, it's, athletes can only be pushed to their brinks, you know, for, uh, so fast, you know, so long. And I'm, I'm really worried we're going to see Work, uh, yeah. injuries after the tournament as well. It's um, yeah, it's a big concern. And you know, remember when this World Cup was voted on, it was still going to be a you know a June July World Cup. And yeah. of course, that is not the case now because of the uh, the goalposts were moved after the vote. It was going to be played in air conditioned stadiums, but apparently that was going to cost another hundred workers' lives or something. So, what's another hundred when you've already you know killed a couple of thousand? Yeah. Eh? Well, you can't talk. Your blood money. <laughs> so, Take us to fourth, fourth in the table. That's all I'm saying. TC's a Newcastle uh, supporter, so we like to give him some some grief <laughs> about the blood money. <laughs> um, although, um, you know, good pick up for Newcastle recently with uh, the signing of Garang Quoll from uh, Central Coast. Uh, no, he's uh, you know every time I've watched him play, he lights up the A League. So I'm hoping he can. Uh, uh, make a good career for himself. That was uh, that was an interesting. That came out of the blue a little bit. I didn't. That just sort of yeah, just uh, just saw it on the on the feed, and bang, he was a Newcastle player. Yeah. Oh, look, and yeah. it's interesting because we've we've seen players picked up, and I, I think you know, like Danny De Silva, who you think, oh no, he's been picked up by Lazio, or whatever, and he's he's going to come good, and then all of a sudden, he's one of their feeder teams. He gets injured, and that's that's it. He's done. He he doesn't ever hit those levels again. So. I, I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, we need more Australians in the in, oh, the, in those top leagues. That, yeah. I think, no, I think I that's, that's yeah, yeah. It just you know over the last few years, it's there hasn't been really a huge amount compared to you know back yeah. in the golden generation time. And I suppose when you when you look at these injuries, we've talked about um, France. I think they they've probably got seven or eight starters now that are injured. Obviously, they're the, the pick of the draw in, in the uh, the group that Australia are in. Um, do you think that's going to make a difference, or are they still, they've still got a lot of very good players backing them up, haven't they? Yeah, they do. Um, you know, the depth 
it really is, you know, amazing. Um, but yeah, those injuries are, you know, they're big injuries, and you know, you know, as much depth as they have, you know, they're still going to be up against it at this World Cup. And I think, um, you know, we always one thing you can almost rely on uh, for uh, France for at every two or three World Cups. Some yeah, you know, they, they've had a bad habit of imploding. Yeah. It is always entertaining yeah. to watch. Yeah. Imploded in 2002, imploded in 2010. Um, uh, you know, I wouldn't be, either way, I wouldn't be surprised. I think they've got quite lucky where, you know, Denmark are really the only real opposition uh, to them going through in this group. But I wouldn't be surprised if um, France exited a lot earlier than uh, than everyone was uh, is tipping pre-tournament. Yeah. Now, getting back to the the couple of weeks we got left in the EPL and European leagues for people to impress or to try and preserve themselves. I mean, I imagine that a lot of the the players that see themselves as absolute starters for their national teams might be holding back a bit. But you've got a couple of players on the cusp and as as much as um, Sterling would probably think he's on the bus, um, his performances for Chelsea really haven't lit the world up. Yeah, and I think that is, uh, you know, but Gareth Southgate's school of thought is he is... Picked you know, by reputation, yeah. He is loyal to the people who have played well for him in the past. And, you know, we are only, you know, 15 months removed from Raheem Sterling probably being the best English player at the uh, at the Euros. I thought that was that tournament last year was the best I've seen him play uh, for England at a major tournament. Yep. I thought he was fantastic. And, um, you know... It, the biggest complaint over Sterling is, you know, his, you know, lack of, uh, you know, quality in the final third. You know, he's such a great mover when he doesn't have the ball. It's just when he does have the ball, at times it tends to be lacking. Um, but I think he'll be, I think he'll be on the bus. Um, you know, I think, I, I think Harry Maguire as well. For you know, I, I, I probably would take him if I was Gareth Southgate. I'm not sure I'd start him, but I think it looks like, uh, uh, you know, Southgate really respects Maguire and to be fair I think Maguire was you know he came into the Euros last year under you know wasn't playing well and not a good tournament for England um, but club form for Manchester United has dropped off significantly yeah, I think it's, it's even like then so uh, yeah. it's, it's yeah, one of those I things with Southgate isn't it you know when he sort of came in you know, in eighteen, he didn't wasn't expected. I mean, everyone says, no. "Oh, we should have we should have won it." But if you look at the press before that, they were just expecting to get knocked out first first oh, yeah. stage. Yeah. And I think you had those young players, and then Euros. I mean, again, everyone. Yeah. There's a lot of people who sort of, uh, you know, have sort of uh, sort of thrown a lot at Southgate because he didn't win it. But to be fair, he didn't didn't actually. You know, they they lost some penalties to the team that was the most informed team in the world at that mm. time. And and went yeah. on and had the biggest on losing streak and yeah and, and made the World Cup where the, the Euro winners didn't so yeah so yeah. I mean you've got I, th- I think it's it's one of those hard ones because he he does have those players that have it's like when you know you pick your your team they I play know. they play your system and sometimes you bring in the form players that don't necessarily fit the system or how you want to play or is good in that level but at the same time. We go back to the you know so-called golden generation of Beckham and all them, yeah. and, and it was just you were picked because of what you did at your club, and quite clearly they didn't fit the England system then. Or oh, look, as well we as we always had the the uh, Lampard and um, 
Who was it? Oh, Stevie G. And just uh, playing them. They, we knew they couldn't play in the midfield together, yet we persisted in putting them in the midfield together. But it was, it was, it was sort of sticking out Lampard on the left or sticking yeah. Gerrard out on the right when, you know, we come up with a system, if you're going to play them all, yeah. that actually plays them in their best positions. Yeah. So it, it is, I think it's... it's, it's but, but I still think there are better centre-halves available in, in England hmm. than, than Maguire. Well, not just in England, yeah. you know, you've got... Um, yeah. Uh, Smalling, isn't it? Smalling, yeah, he's he's yeah, playing well. Tamori yeah. as well. Yep, yep. And um, then you've got some, some real workhorses like Craig Dawson, who, if you're going to have someone coming off a bench and doing a job for you, he does a really good job at West Ham. He's he's just one of those good old-fashioned centre-halves who just knows how to get the ball away from his goal. Oh, look, that's what you yeah, need, but... Yeah. yeah, it's okay. It's, 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 it's difficult because I think whatever he does... If he picks all the informed players and gets rid of Maguire and Sterling and so forth, and they don't do well, he's 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 he's, he's done. And yeah. if he picks the ones that have done them in the past and they, they don't go well, he's oh, look, done either way. And I think you look you you when you are picking Maguire, you still are picking a quality player who's able to do a job for you. And it's again the tactics that are employed by the coach, and that's I suppose where um, Southgate becomes quite exposed because I think you know in in that final. You had the their most experienced centre back on a yellow card. He had players he couldn't live with who were running around him. And I would have said to Sterling and the others and to Grealish, just take him on, run around him, do whatever you can. He's going to have to foul you, and he'd be gone. But we didn't. We we didn't put pressure on him, and, and that was the problem. And I think you know. To sit back and go, oh, we're, we're a goal ahead, we'll just defend that. That was the problem. They keep, scored too early. Keep, yeah, but just keep <laughs> doing what you're doing. Bang two, three in, just do them. And if you can get the centre-back fouling you and, and then or not tackling you because he knows he's going to get a foul, then you've got you know, an avenue to, to goal that you, you didn't have previously. You, you need to exploit that advantage. Yeah, but you, you, at the same time, you got it's, it's the players still have to do, do what they have to do. I mean, mm. uh, it's... You know, we don't know that that wasn't the instruction, and players no, still no, got to be able to do it. Um, you know, it's yeah. So, it, so, like, so your thoughts, Ben, on on that? The World Cup is going to put a lot of players under stress coming in through the World Cup. They're going to come back into a competition with players who are rested. Um, you know, and someone like Harland, who is definitely not going. Um, you know, against players who are informed but maybe tired. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's uh, uh, definitely like Ireland really needs a break at the moment because he started the season like a house on. Yeah, he certainly did, and I think you know the the pressure he's put defenders under and the the, the luck he's had um, has certainly put him where he is. Um, and, and a break will probably do him the world of good. I think that's what Pep was thinking. Just yeah. just just play him, and then he's going to get that break, and mm. you know then we get him back fresh, which is. You know, um, it's going to be interesting because I think they come straight back into a pretty typical Christmas congested schedule. As Absolutely, well. and they're still in Europe, so yeah. You there, Ben? It sounds like Ben's phone may have dropped out. I think may have dropped out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, look, I think it's it's an interesting, um, interesting proposition when you look at the teams that are going to be rested, and some of those teams are on the cusp of. Looks like we've got him back in. No, no, it looks like he's dropped out. It's gone. Isn't yeah. It? Um, well, we, I've got lots. Of, we can. Talk, I've got lots to say about the World Cup. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, you just go for it, mate. <laughs> no, I think. Uh, like I said, I think I believe there's three 
I think I said this early on, I think there's three Premier League uh, fixtures still to play. And that's, I think, Saturday. Two. Is there's it one, two? Yeah, two. So yeah. Saturday and Wednesday, I think, isn't yeah. it? So, and then it's literally... Um, they have a week of friendlies and then bang, you're into it. Yeah. So it's you've got that. Um, you know, my dad was, was, I was having a chat with my dad and he made a good point, you know, and I've always said this, there's always a lot of, it's going to be interesting, I think, next uh, next year as the season goes on because you often get a lot of teams you don't expect to be up at the up at the top in the first half of the season because, mm. you know, you most teams have got a good, these days have got a good 11, yeah. especially in that top, six, eight, ten. And yeah. you get these random teams to sort of get up there. And um and then once Christmas hits and the squad is comes important, you know, you have a few injuries and then you stop it's dropping away. Yeah, of course it is. And yeah. and that's why the bigger teams then just run riot, you know. Mm. And uh it's gonna be interesting this with that little break, because there's gonna be obviously a lot of players, a lot of decent players who aren't going to the World Cup yep. that are going to get that break. So I think the the league I wouldn't say competitive because I, I think I still think Man City's just going to eventually overhaul Arsenal and just r- run away with it. Um, but I think for that battle for third, fourth, fifth, sixth, you know, sort of is going to be a lot closer, um, just simply because of those players having a little bit of a rest and those top players going into a fairly congested um, sort of lead into the World Cup playing in the World Cup which seems congested as well and then hitting Christmas yeah those bigger players so it's, I think it's, it could actually make it a very interesting end to um, at the very least the Premier League but you know maybe a few leagues in um, in Europe and what's your thoughts on, on the politics um, you know the Socceroos made a, a, a fairly political statement um, about their thoughts about competing. I, I think it's best just to ignore it, and yeah. then you don't have to look deep into your soul. <laughs> Why are you going to be watching the World Cup? Oh, spoken like a Newcastle fan. Yeah, yeah. I've learned to just. Uh, yeah, I mean, I love that white and green strip they've got. I think it's perfect. <laughs> um, but look, no, no, look, it, it. Yeah. But sport and politics, do do you know? The, obviously, it's in a, it's in. Um, it's it's in a state where we we it's been chosen. We've had four years to moan about it. Let's not moan on on midnight uh, the day before. I don't know. It, it's look. It what 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 do you do? Um, I mean, it's it's something. It's it's the World Cup. I mean, it's something that as a, as a kid that was. I mean, it's I, I'm not. I love playing the game. I, I do watch watch a bit, but not as many as much as you might think with the level of sort of involvement in the game. Um, I like coaching, I like playing, I like sort of being there. That's mm. why I sort of do prefer live games. But the World Cup, I pretty much try and watch every single game. Yeah. Every single. So one one tournament, even Euros get nowhere near as um, excited. I don't get as excited. You know, I've even got, I've got the panty sticker album for the boys. Can't find any stickers anywhere, but I've got, I've got that. Um, and we've had that for every year. It's just like 10% filled in. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you do know it. It's it's it it sh- it shouldn't be where it is, and it's for for the lead up to it. Um, it's yeah. W- w- what can you do? What can you say? You, we know it where it should be. Yeah. FIFA should have had the opportunity to pull away when when <clears throat> when the blowback happened. Yeah. Um. You know, regardless whether Australia should have won it next, um, or whatever. That's 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 beside the point. But. Yeah, and it's the same. Like I said, it, I'm in the same situation with with Newcastle, um, yeah. and I, I think one of the comments I stated for at least that situation is: look, there's a lot of money. It is Saudi, as we call, as they call it, blood money. Um, 
And it's kind of one of these things, look, they're going to spend it on something. And what they're going to spend it on in terms of building up the area, building up, you know, a sense in Newcastle, this little town, city in the north of England, and um, creating jobs and so forth. So it's kind of like, I just to look at it, look, you know, if you're going to if you if you're going to have money, you might as well you know take it and spend it on something good. Yeah, but good. you can you can question where the money's come from. Of course, for you can. All sorts of things. You know, um, anyone that that's been um, sponsored or supported by one of the major sporting brands has the issues of child labour um, in India or other places. That's how they've made their money. So everyone's got a shadow well, in the, in the you cabinet. Can, somewhere. You can't. I mean, yeah. it, the amount of blowback to Newcastle, I, I get it, but it was it was a little bit ridiculous when you're thinking about they're backed by a big bank that caused a whole untold misery in 2008. Yeah. You know, um, you've got, you know, um, you've got Man City. You know, they're they're, they're not they're not they're, their owners aren't. No one's clean. Squeak, no one's squeaking you know? clean. No, I, I agree. Anyone I, who flies a Qatar yeah. Airlines, Emirates Airlines. Yeah. You, 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 well, you, it's. We're all. I think what we can do is that we, we we live in the circumstance that we've got, but it doesn't mean that it makes. Yeah, but it's us, all virtue signaling, isn't it? And it is. Yeah. It doesn't make us hypocrites to to, to no. sort of to sort of point it out, um, because you couldn't live a life these days. But yeah. what you can do is, is as we were saying before, is bring it up, highlight these issues, and hopefully change. You never know with with what their more exposure to Newcastle, for example. Yeah. It could it could do little changes, and maybe that's enough to just make changes that will that will make bigger things because yeah. they're now in the public eye a little bit more absolutely and, and subtle pressure is better than no pressure and look and if we get a premier league on the way then hey <laughs> everyone oh, like, like you're insufferable enough as you are yeah. <laughs> imagine you're in the premier league. oh yes oh, yes <laughs> that will be a that'll be a day for everyone Oh, no, I, I just think there should be a line between the politics and the, it's not for the, the sportsman or the sporting body to make a political statement. I think, by all means, the Australian government could make a political statement around the, the team going, but they're, they're going there, they're going to represent um, Australia in the sport. They're not going there for political rallies or anything mm. else. And, you know, we, we could talk about the, the rights of the workers. We could also talk about the rights of the LGBTQI and... Uh, you know that that community, but we can also say then, all right, there are teams now that are also competing in that World Cup that I think Iran do not allow women to play football, mm. and then there are other countries that will allow them to play football. They're going to wear a hijab. So there's you know, and who are we to to tell them how to to run like, their games? I, I think the, the hypocrisy is when you, 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 like I said, the virtue thing. It, 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 you're pointing something else out while you're ignoring that, mm. and. Y- y- like I said, sometimes the best change comes yeah. from, as, as I said, like I said, in the Newcastle perspective, if they're doing something special in the town and it, and, and the feeling, my dad's there now, you know, he's, he's going to games, or he's trying to go to games, and he said the, the buzz and the feeling and, and, and the stuff they're doing, little things like that, and then if that then blows back to them in a positive light and change is made, if, if look, we know what the situation in Qatar is, and but if... if if, little, if, if they've made little changes so some of their rules are softened a little bit and then after the World Cup those rules are kept soft, then it's little changes yeah, that may be going to be for the better and that's, that's all we can really hope for. You know, yes, it, it shouldn't have been given, but it has. Maybe change can happen from, from, from it. Absolutely. And that's all you can hope yeah, for. Yeah. Um, like I said, it, it's... Look, I, I'm not going to say I'm not going to watch the World Cup. Mm. I am. 
um, you know, is it, do I think of of the regime is is an ideal place for it to be? No, but well, we also are now with the. I mean, obviously, you can't you can't get a ticket unless you've got somewhere to stay. Um, obviously, alcohol sales are not going to be the the biggest focus of the the game. So then, some of the issues around which, by uh, the way, that may not necessarily be a bad thing. No, with some. Of I was the, saying the pregame violence and everything yeah. else, and then even if people who are not tanked up decide they're going to have a, a scuffle. The, the the regime there does not accept that, and again will deal with it in a very swift and harsh manner. Not a bad thing. No, not at all. Like, not yeah, at all. If if they want to kick off trouble, you know what? Go for it. Yeah. Please go for it. So uh, think, you know, you know, I encourage it. Go for it, and then see what happens. From that perspective, it'd be really nice to have a World Cup where the English fans aren't. Um, well, I think the one of the the, the the last one where there wasn't a really huge amount of trouble, and I was fortunate to go to was. Um, I mean, a lot of people say it wasn't a great World Cup, but. Luckily, I was there in Korea, Korea, Japan. But the feeling, the monks, and, I, and some of them say because of the distance, maybe some people didn't go or, or for whatever reason. Um, but there was very little violence there. There was very little, um, I think maybe because the drink culture wasn't quite the same. Mm. And um, and it was it was, it was was such a good World and Cup the on the streets. And accessibility. I mean, when, when you're holding a World Cup in France, it's so accessible to the rest oh, yeah. of Europe. So, and, and there is a drinking culture and there is, you know, all those rivalries that just... Yeah, people can go there even without a ticket. So that's what I'm saying with this one. You have to have a ticket and you have to have a hotel room mm. so that there's lots of controls around it which aren't necessarily it's bad honestly thing. bad things. Yeah. You know. To... All right, we're going to go to a break and we'll be back after that with Dave Udi who is off to the Pans, Pan Pacific Masters Games. So we'll be back with him very shortly. Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman, welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 92586822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au. Station sponsor. You're listening to the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle. We are proud to be the longest-running football show on radio in Australia. Join myself, Penny Tannerhoe, Pete Skeeler, Sean Kelly and Hugh Best every Saturday morning in the 10am to noon space. You will hear football conversations with a range of guests and gurus. The show lands as a podcast on our website and you can subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening in to the World Football Program. One oh seven point nine FM, your local station. Now, like I said earlier, it seems like Queensland's the, the epicenter for football at the moment with the Indigenous World Cup happening there. Um, also, another very significant uh, event is the Masters Pan Pacific Games. We've got several teams going from WA. Um, one or two in my chosen sport, which is walking football. And Dave Udi is with the Wanneroo walking footballers, and I think they've got a team going. But uh, Wanneroo have been at the forefront of the walking football scene in WA for a while. So good morning, David. How are you? Good morning, Sean. Yeah, very well, thanks. 
Um, Wanneroo is synonymous with walking football. How long have you guys been part of that um, emerging sport? Yeah, look, it's, it's been about five years now. So um, we we got on board when um, Football West were investigating the uh, you know the possibility of doing it and sort of identified it as something you know, particularly at our club where we had a lot of older guys still playing uh, in the you know in the over forty fives that sort of thing and thinking well look what are they going to do if there's nothing for them to do when they get sort of a little bit older and this came up and was a, a real um, it's taken off you know really well for us. Yeah, you, you've got a, a good, strong comp, I believe. It's been, um, as you said, five years in the making. So, seems for the northern suburbs to be the epicenter of walking football. Yeah, I'm not sure why, but yeah, we, it's sort of it's taken off that that way. And uh, there's a few hubs around uh, around the area now. So, yeah, and then more and more clubs are sort of sort of taking it on board and creating their own little hubs. So I, I guess so. Yes, what it's kind, certainly it's certainly growing. What kind of numbers do you get down? Well, at, at our club at Wanneroo, we've got our core group of guys that have been playing, you know, mostly for that last five years. So we we generally only have, you know, like a maybe a 15 to 20 guys uh, in, that, in that group. And, and, and each Wednesday night, you know, a certain number of those will turn up and we'll just play uh, our games on, on the Wednesday night. And it's open open to others who can just um, to turn up? Oh, definitely, yeah. We're always looking, you know, to add, uh, you know, to, to add new guys on board. So... Uh, you know, we've done a few in the past sort of open days where we've tried to attract um, new players and things and uh, pu- putting it up. So it's always open. Um, and, and look, ladies as well, it's, there's, no, there's no limits on that. But we've, it's generally sort of aimed at, I guess, the sort of over 50 sort of, you know, sort of age group. Yeah. Um, and and, there, and there's, also, there's also, you know, guys that have um, maybe come back from injuries and things that just want to start really slowly and that. So yeah. it's... it's you know, there's a variety of people were giving it a go, yeah. yeah historically, it was uh, developed for over 50s to keep them involved in the game. Um, I played in Veterans uh, Premier League and then up into the... Actually, myself and my mate, we, we actually instigated the over 45 league um, and played in that. And, you know, even at, you know, 55, 60, um, running and tackling and the, that high-impact stuff is, is not the best for you. It takes a good while to recover from injuries. So walking football is less impacting on your knees and ankles mm. and and there's there's no um, physical contact and certainly none of that high-speed physical impact that you get in the running game. Um, so from a health perspective, it's really good. Also, from a mental health perspective, um, all of the things that you have in the normal um, sporting arena, which is you know the banter and the BS that goes on around it, is all part of it. So you know, and sure, yeah. and, and the socialisation. You know, the thing is that, that men are warriors, and uh, you know, at a basic level, that's what we do. This is an avenue for um, guys who you know in their sixties and seventies can still perform and play. Mm. Um, I think there's. There's an over fifties and an over sixties team going to the um, to the Pampax, but there's talk now of an over seventies league being or uh, competition coming in because a lot of those guys over sixty are actually over seventy. So, as a seventy year old chasing a sixty year old is not really that that good. But the but it, but the walking football is a great evener. You know, look, our our one at Ashfield has has been growing over the last year. And, and we've got a steady core of about 15 to 20 that are there. And, and we can go out to, to bigger numbers than that at times. Well, my um, 
Um, my wife Sarah, she she got finally convinced to go down because they've yeah. got one at Curtain for for uh, women. Yep. And um, so she's never played before. Obviously, she's been sort of kind of forced into the game with uh, me and my mm. two boys who play. And but uh, the wa- walking's a great leveler. We've had men and women playing together. Mm. We've got um, a couple of of. MPL coaches who play in ours who are in their late 30s, early 40s. We've got one of our guys who's in his mid-20s who plays walking football because he doesn't have the time or commitment because he's coaching to, yeah. to be in anything else. But it's a great leveller and, we, and we're, we're just having fun with it. Well, like I said, she's never played before yeah. in, in her first first uh, uh, first time she played, she scored a goal and um, didn't know quite what she was doing. but She's she, hooked. She's, yeah, well, she, I think it got cancelled on on Tuesday for I think yeah. a few away, but she's there. Yeah, she's she's going to go down, and and again comes out of that social. You know, it's it's a couple of parents from yep. our team that she's going down with, and uh, it was quite good because I scored a goal and she scored a goal. But Jackson and Kel, our boys, are the only ones who haven't scored a goal in our mm. family this year. So, so um, the Pan Packs are on this week. They started yesterday, um, and I believe that you've got a team going, Dave. We've got, a, we've got two men's teams going, and yep. there's also a ladies' team and a, and a couple of mixed teams as well. So there's quite a bit of uh, activity. So the, the, men, the, on, on the, the two men's teams that are going are basically formed through the sort of a walking football association that's in Perth. Yep. And uh, so we're always going to put in an over-60s and an over-50s. Now, as it's turned out, the over-50s team is all Wanneroo players. So we've called that Wanneroo City Soccer Club because yep. we're all uh, we're making up that team. And yet... The over 60s is then going to be the uh, the exiles team. So, yeah, because because Tony Bates so, will kill uh, if you don't mention the exiles. Exactly. Yeah, and <laughs> you know, Tony's obviously been a, a, an instigator and a, a driving force behind the Walking Football Association and bringing yep. sort of all the hubs together and you know having more of a combined uh, front from the Walking Football. And um, of course, they went across to Zurich earlier this year for the uh, the Supermasters over there, which um, which we're planning to go back again next year. So. Yeah, I look and, and the thing is that the sport is growing, and as you said, there's there's women's competitions. Um, I see that at Monday there's um, Georgetown Reserve Safety Bay between ten and eleven in the morning, um, four thirty to six o'clock at the Aluka District Open Space Aluka. There's a comp there, six thirty to eight on a Monday night is Ashfield Reserve. Um, Tuesday is at Bentley for women. That's 5.30 till 6.30 in the men from 6.30 till 7. And Mandra have a comp between 6.30 and 7.30. Wednesday, obviously, there is um, Wanneroo, which um, has been going for, for an awful long time. But 10.30 till 12 at the Aluka Open Space, there's a comp on. Um, Butler's Reserve Scarborough, Warmbra Oval Warmbra, Players Race Madley and Rosalie Park at Shenton Park. Thursday, Georgetown Reserve Safety Bay and Percy Doyle is 5.30. Friday is the Mandra Aquatic and Recreation Centre. And on Saturday mornings between 9.30 and 11 is Fox Football Fives. So that you, you can play basically six days a week if you wanted to and repair, drive around. But you can find all of that on the Walking Football website page. Um, so the, there's plenty of avenues around. Do you find that... Um, People scoff at the, the whole concept of walking football, and and until they try it, and all of a sudden they go, "Wow, this is brilliant!" Oh, yeah, that, that's that's uh, exactly right. And there's 
I mean, can we still play? We actually played over 55s this year at Wanneroo in, in the new um, over 55s league. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and some of the some of the, my mates we still play with, I, I still can't get them to even come down and have a look at it or come down and sort of give it a try because it's that sort of psychological thing. Thinking, oh no, that's you know, walking. No, how, that, that's that's not really football. But um, what you find is that. Um, the, the, the walking football still has, requires all the skills of the game and, and the understanding of the game. So you'll find that the better footballers who come down and play walking football actually are the ones that are least likely to run, if you like, know what I mean. They're yeah. the ones that actually just... Make the ball do the walk. Control uh, the ball quickly yeah. and, and kick the ball around, you know, pass the ball quickly and things like that. So It's not a bad... Um, it is... Yeah. I was just say it's not a bad off-season because you said you, you played in the over-50s league, but it's... Because it's, I look, I'm playing in the over-45s and I know at the end of the season, I, you know, <laughs> I need a bit of time to sort of recover a little bit. Um, yeah. But the walking football, I think, you know, it, especially for the over-50s where I can imagine it's just a little bit sore at the end of the season. Yeah. That's a great, like, off-season rather than going to play five-a-side or maybe just trying to do a, a, a you know, a, a seven-a-side game or something. It's a, probably a great off-season Oh, it is. Uh, Dave, if I can, for, for you personally, between playing the, the full field, 11 aside, running and all of those things and the, the walking football, what would you prefer? Yeah, good question, good question. Look, I, I, pre- I still prefer playing um, outside football, 11 aside at the moment. I think while I can do it, uh, I'll keep doing it. Mm. But... The reason I got involved in the walking football five years ago was because I, again, I was sort of looking at what am I going to do when I stop playing normal football? Because yeah. <laughs> what, what are the options? And, and so that's why I've tried to, um, you know, to keep this going and, and sort of promote it as much as possible because now I can play both and I, I can see the uh, the benefits of both, you know. Uh, it, 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 the, the 11 aside gets harder and harder, you know, yeah. to, to sort of front up and do that and... Uh, Oh look! Well, I was I was playing in the the veterans league over thirty fives, and at that stage I was in my mid fifties, and chasing someone twenty years younger than you had bells on it. Um, so we did the forty fives, and even then the forty fives are still giving away ten years. Um, and you know, waking up on the Sunday morning still sore from last Sunday wasn't doing it for me. Now with the walking football, I can play. Um, Saturday I can play on Monday and I still feel really good about it. So for me, it's a, it's, it gives me some longevity. Um, as I said, we've got two NPL coaches who um, are, are playing at Ashfield and I think they may even do a session when they're doing their pre-season of walking football for their players because all those attributes of the game about movement and touch don't change and you know you you have to play simple football and you can't tackle so and it's not a dribbling game even i know some guys still try and do it but you know yeah. as a defender um i love it when they do that because at walking pace very easy to pick the ball off them <laughs> that's right that's right and yeah and, and as i said my comment before is that the, the guys that tend to want to try and do that are the ones that um haven't had the same awareness of playing outdoor, you know, n- normal football because uh, they all they're doing is sort of closing down each other's space instead of you know getting that ball moving around. Quickly, yeah, so. and then you still got the option to play that killer pass and yeah, you know, yeah. And, and getting the weight right because you know um, if you're mm. still playing the running game, yeah, getting the weight right for someone that's walking is very very tricky. Yes, yeah, exactly. 
But, yeah. you know, look, getting back to the, the pan packs, um, mm-hmm. I know one or two, Richard's Pavely's already gone out this morning and he's probably in the air as we speak. Um, I know yeah. a couple of the Exiles boys have left already. I think Tony's going in the next day or two. You're, you're going yourself in a day or two? Uh, early next week, yeah. Yeah, yeah so there's, there's lots of people headed out. Um, you've got, as you said, there's a, a couple of women's teams going as well. Are they walking football yeah, or, are they, or are they full side? Yeah, they've got, they're, they're playing an over 50s team yep. uh, in the ladies. And then some of those guys, uh, and also the, uh, you know, what's the, the Western Spirit team, which yep. is, they've been, they've been going across the Pan Packs since, mm. I think, 1994 or something. They've been, okay. uh, you know, the ladies, the ladies have been sending a team over to play normal football. So they're playing again this year, as far as I know, in the over 45s. And so some of those uh, ladies and also some of the ladies walking footballers will then combine with the uh, the men uh, to two mixed teams, two mixed social teams. So Wow. So that's just going to add to our workload. And we've seen the fixtures and there's, <laughs> there's going to be quite a... Uh, but a, uh, there's a couple of um, clashes and things there already we've seen, so we're not sure how we're going to work all that, but um, that's what we're planning to do. Oh, I'm sure we'll, we'll work it out. And I think there's... Um, I know when the Exiles went over to Switzerland, we also took over a referee who ended up refereeing the, the, the World Cup final. Yep. So, um, you know, there's there's parts and, and, and things to play for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. we got the, we do have referees going with us on this one? Well, that's Paul Thorogood, and he's yep. actually playing in our in our over fifties team with us. So, yeah, no, yeah, look, so, we don't, so he went. Yeah, yeah. So, I suppose the, the message out there to anybody who's approaching fifty, um, or for one reason or another, can't commit to playing in uh, or training for um, veterans or any other team um, to to come down to your local club. Um, have a look on the walking football site and come down and give it a go. Um, if you're a player recovering from an injury, it's a great way to recover from injury and still get you involved in the skills of the game without the risk of being injured. Uh, and I'm sure you won't get turned away from any of the clubs you turn up at. So um, if someone in the Wanneroo, within the, the reach of Wanneroo wants to, to play, they, they turn up on a Wednesday night. One o'clock Wednesday, uh, just come along and... Um and you, you, will, you can join in and have a tryout and um, and see what see what you think and see if you want to come back again. And a lot of people, a lot of people do that, and they, they tend to keep coming back. So yeah, please do. Absolutely, and I'll give Fox Fives a, a plug as well because um, they also have a number of, of teams playing out there. Always looking for a, a spare player or two, um, and don't let the fact that you're under fifty or the the fact that you look really stupid when you're walking football, but it, you do have a, you do really have a great time um, getting away because it, it is it is great fun. Absolutely, absolutely, it, 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 and as you mentioned before, the, you know, all the other aspects of it, the social aspects and the mental health aspects, you know, is I've seen the I've seen the guys that you know at Wanneroo. I've seen um, a lot of them who hadn't been playing doing anything for you know fifteen twenty years. Yeah, and they came down as, and tried the walking football, and, and to see them now, you know, uh, four or five years later, you can actually see the growth in not only the physical health but also you know the their their uh, I think the yeah the mental health the game yeah. and, and all the rest. I think the mental health is a huge thing. I it mean, is a huge I, thing. when I you know I, when I got back into playing. Eight, eight years ago with uh, the Linwood uh, 35s, um, 
you know, just that social element, mm. you know. And, uh, you know, I wasn't necessarily in a state of depression or anything like that, but I do no. look, look back at my mental health 2010, 11, 12, and luckily I was still coaching, so I had that element. But as soon as I started playing with a group of guys that now become a mate and now we yeah. go out and now we do things, um, that's huge. And it, it, it's, I, I, look, I look back at those years and look back now, yeah. Um, yeah, and the thing is, you can still compete at a, at a reasonable level. Um, Bill Busby won't mind me mentioning this. He's over seventy. He's recently had a hip replacement. He's out there on a Monday night playing with us, um, and and having a great time. And that's really what this is about. You know, there's there's a place for everybody within this game. Walking football, certainly for those who are fifty and over, is a great avenue for you. But it's not exclusive. And, um, you know, we've, we've got other people who are in their mid-twenties playing and, you know, their 30s and 40s who are also playing and having fun. Um, and I think it's just a great way of connecting. And if, you've, if you're time poor, can't play on a weekend, um, you know, my eldest son plays with us. He's, he's 41, but he plays with us. Um, he's got four children. He's got a, a job. He's, a, he's the president of the club. And... Time-wise, he just doesn't have it, but he can rock up on a Monday and still do all of those things about playing and enjoying the game and the camaraderie. And the, the I think you also take away the nasty element of the game as well. Yeah. Because from what I've seen and what I've heard of people who play, you know, even on 45 sometimes, you get you get these ridiculous challenges or you get people who just get a bit too head up and... And, and yeah, and that that kind of that's the the thing that puts you off a little because you think we're forty five, we're yeah. fifty, we're six, some of us sixty. You know, we why are we why are we still acting like <laughs> we're unfortunately we can't get that out of us. I think there is a little bit of that still goes on, <laughs> but but it's it's a much much lesser impact, and, and I think that's the yeah. point that the contact is, is is muchly reduced. Yeah, there's there's still some words said and there's still some banter given. And, well, banter's and okay, and words are okay. Yeah, yeah, but but there, you know, it is. Don't get me wrong. It is competitive, and I, I imagine, like when you go to Zurich, it was very competitive, and the Pampacks will be extremely competitive. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and mentioning the, the, the Pampacks, it was um, has been on for a couple of years, and we were scheduled to go there last year, so um, and that got put on hold. So we're really looking forward to going this yeah. year. I've not been to the Pampacks before, and uh, I believe there's you know around thirteen thousand odd participants and things like that. There's about forty one different sports being played. So how, yeah. does, how um, does someone get into that uh, then? How did I mean how did it how did you get involved in this uh, with the oh, Pan Pacific? The Pan Pacific Masters game is a huge thing and it, it is open to archery, darts, soccer, rugby, swimming, yeah. athletics, there's a whole range of things. So it's it's not just one sport. Mm. It is a, across the whole the whole sporting competition, basketball, right. softball, baseball, everything is... But it's in the soccer sense, but yeah. just, just in the football sense, I should say, the, you yeah. know, just with Wanneroo literally taking a team across, I mean, sort of where... So obviously we're going to go into last year, but how did how did they come across with, with you guys actually being wanting to be involved or knowing or knowing it was it was something to be involved in? Yeah, I think... Um, I'm not sure how exactly, but um, Richard, I think, was, was in contact with Alan Templeton, who runs it over in um, Brisbane. And it was the first time they were going to have walking football last year, so that's why uh, we had the uh, had the word that was on, and then sort of planned to be there. And of course, so we just put that on hold, and we're all set to set to go this year. So, yeah, there's this um, wonderful so thing it's, called it's, the internet, Tony. It's a bit more than my taste. The walking football is being played at the Gold Coast Knights Soccer Club, who's obviously an NPL club over in Brisbane. 
So um, I was listening to your conversation earlier with the glory and, and, and Macedonia's ground and yeah. suitable ground. That so, so we're interested to see uh, the facilities they've got. I think actually they're coached by Scott McDonald, if I'm right. Um, oh, okay. Gold Coast Knights. Yeah. 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 So um, that they've they've put on the venue for all the, all the walking foot, the football to be uh, to be housed there. So that's uh, that should be good. Absolutely. All right. Look, best of luck to to you, the um, the Wanneroo, the Exiles, and the yeah. ladies that are playing. That's I'm sure, sure. you all represent the state extremely well. Um, the good thing for me about the, the walking football is I come across people like yourself and Richard and others that I've played against previously yeah. in Masters or in state league. So it's a, it's a yeah. great way to catch up with people you haven't seen in a long, long time. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Sean. No worries. Thanks, Thank you, Dave. Cheers. So Dave Udy there from Wanneroo, um, who are representing the 50s in the Walking World, uh, well, sorry, the Walking Cup at the Pan Pacifics for the Masters uh, Games. And we've got the Exiles who are representing the over 60s. And we've got some ladies who are also competing over there. So the, the game is growing. It's, it is a good good avenue for someone um, who's you know starting to feel the joints aching and the... I think a good point you made, sort of when he was looking, well, he still plays, but sort of he obviously, you know, when you get into your 50s and so forth, it does get, you know, I know just now, you know, I've just turned 45 and it's hard every week sometimes to get that get that blood flowing. But, yeah. you know, what do you do? Because you got that, lose that social element. And effectively, you know, one of the things to say is go for a walk. Well, now you're, you're going for a walk and you're, and you're adding, you're adding the football in there I've with it. I've tried that. And you go for a walk around the block and your dog dies and then you've got nothing. <laughs> so you're walking around the block without <laughs> a dog and you're, and you're looking quite dodgy for a start. I know, but you, you could be walking anywhere and look quite dodgy. Yeah, true. Um, but when, when you put a ball in front of me, mm. I'll just chase it. And that's I, it. I, I'm, it, I'm you, like a Kelpie. You, you like to walk. I mean, yeah. walk, walking is one of the best things you can do. And so if you, you're literally putting... One of the sort of yeah. mental health exercises and and the social element of the football, yep. putting it together and. But you know, sedentary lifestyle is one of the things. And, and if you sat down at an office most of the day, as I am, getting up and walking is really good. Um, this gives you a reason to be there, chasing the ball, and and the camaraderie are two things that mm. suck you into it. Where it's very easy to go, oh look, it's it's cold, it's dark, it's wet. I don't want to go for a walk around yeah. the block. Absolutely. Whereas I've I've been stood there one one night in particular with with thunder going down and rain flashing down. I'm going. Where is everybody? You know, because I, I want to play. Yeah. And it's great. And I think, you know, that's the whole point of it. And we have surprised a couple of people who've come down, given it a go, and they're hooked. So, you know, and they're, they're nowhere near 50, but mm. they're still well, like some, You know, my wife yeah. wife had her first ever real game of soccer. Yeah. And um All right, Tony, it. uh, it's that time. Uh, thank you for listening out there. Um, we'll be back next week, or the show will be back next week. Tony, great to have you on air. Always a wealth of information, mate. I liked it. Well, not just a wealth of information, but I try and pretend, pretend that I know what I'm talking about. You pretend very well. <laughs> Thank you for listening. This has been the World Football Programme. Join us again next week at the same time for the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.